Speaks Volumes is a podcast hosted by mastering engineers Matt Leffler Schulman and Dan Coutant. We talk about supporting our fellow engineers, work life balance, and maintaining good mental health in a stressful and competitive industry. Our guest today is Dave McNair, a mastering engineer based out of Winston Salem, North Carolina. He has worked with Bob Dylan, Patti Smith, Los Lobos, Mavis Staples, David Bowie, Bruce Springsteen, Sarah Bareilles, and many, many more. We talk about transitioning from producer to a mastering engineer, having kids and how that changes your life, Grammy anxiety, knowing when you are done, approaching mastering as a technician versus a musician, how to get loud masters without fucking it up, when clients go to other engineers, and when it's time to raise the rates. This episode's music is brought to you by Max Cinnamon from Paris, France. For more information on Max, point your web electrons to maxcinnamon.tv. For more information about Dave, go to davemcnairmastering.com. Well, thank you so much for, for giving Dan and I the time for oh, the yeah. podcast. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy doing this stuff. I mean, who doesn't like talking about themselves? <laughs> Because everyone knows who you are, we don't have to do the thumbnail. Um, but what I would like to start with is talking about your journey. You started out as a producer, mixer, working with yeah. bands in the studio. Can you talk to yeah. me about your transition into becoming a mastering engineer? Well, I had been doing that for about 20 years. And my first child came along. We were living in Austin in those days. It was, I don't know, it was about 90 98 99 and uh <clears throat> i was i was just kind of getting burned out of the whole recording thing i mean i um and i knew i knew that the game was probably up for me because uh well for one thing there was a point in time where i did really pretty well and budgets were good and you know i wasn't minting money but i was certainly had a nice career i could buy a house all that sort of stuff that's hard to do now and then I remember clearly reading a musician magazine uh, about Napster. It's like, is this the end of the music business? And I read that. I went, yep, sure is. And uh, so I went, okay, I got to, you know, the budgets were going lower and lower. And it's like, oh, what the fuck? So I started doing a lot of indie records. I, I moved from L.A. to Austin. And uh, I was really happy there because I was doing real music. I was doing like people that really played, you know. And... Um, so the first kid came along and I can remember clearly sitting on the couch with him. I mean, we was an infant and the guy, you know, called the drummer called me. He's like, Hey, we're, you know, going to record tomorrow. And I want to know what kind of heads to get, you know, skins to get for my, my drums. And I thought for a second and I thought it flashed before me. as like, you know, if this had happened like a year ago, I could have delivered a soliloquy on different heads and their tonalities. But right now, I don't give a fuck what heads you put on the drums. Just show up <laughs> and play it right so I can go home quick. <laughs> totally, totally. So, so that kind of told me. I mean, I didn't say that to the guy, but I, you know, I, I, I that was a, an awakening. I was like, you know what? I, I can't, I can't do this recording thing anymore. I'm tired of telling people to tune their guitars for twelve hours a day. And so I thought, well, what can I do? And I was like, I don't have any formal education in anything. I was like, shit, what am I going? to 
And for a minute, I thought about going into IT and I got some books on coding, some friends of mine that were into that. I was like, yeah, you can do this. And I, you know, and I, I kind of studied, I thought, well, maybe this will be my thing, you know, because I knew some musician guys that wanted that. And then I got a gig and it like was incredibly cool recording Los Lobos and all these guys that won a Grammy. I was like, okay. My manager said at the time, she said, you know what? You're a lifer. You have to stay in this. You just have to figure out a way to make a living doing it. So I said, you know, I think I'm just going to go into mastering because that was always, I was always really into it. And um, so that happened about 2000, I guess, 2001. And that's kind of, you know, I, I, as far as the transition, I, we moved to New York City from Austin. I sold a bunch of recording gear. We sold our house at a very nice profit. And I bought some mastering gear and I started doing it out of our apartment in New York. And I had to take gigs for a while, recording and mixing, but I didn't go after anything. And uh, there was a point in time where I remember I was very happy around, I don't know, 2007 or something, 2006, where somebody, a friend of mine from a label called me and said, hey, how'd you like to do the so-and-so record? And it was like a big name. I was like, nope, <laughs> I've got, I'm doing mastering now. They were like, okay. So... So it took about five years to really sort of transition out of producing. Yeah, five or six years. You know, occasionally something will come up that would be good because I really like tracking. And so, you know, some band with a nice budget would call and they're like, yeah, we're going to do Ocean Way Nashville. And it's like two weeks of tracking and we'll pay you, you know, 1500 bucks a day or whatever. I was like, okay. And I, I, you know, put the mastering work on hold, which was not super busy at that point, but it was... I could see what's going to do something. And, you know, I'd go without a band or like there'd be an odd thing where I'm mastering full time and like same deal. Like we're at sunset. We just need you for three days. Cut the tracks. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. So I did stuff like that. I guess that makes sense. Cause there's no fuss with that. It's like you're in, you're out no and fuss. it's done. I hate friggin' overdubs, man. Yeah. I love mixing <laughs> and I love tracking overdubs. And it got so weird at the end, not weird, but like I'd work with regular producers that I'd work with and they'd be like, we know, we know. And, and they would, they, the producer would do the overdubs himself. I'm like, I, they're like, go get a sandwich, go, just go someplace where it's, you know, like, or like we'd be in the mix and the artist would say, I got to re-sing that. And the producer would look at me and say, we'll see you in a little while. Set me up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I just get so curmudgeonly, you know, recordings. It was like, Dude, it was fine the third time you did it. Just, just stop. I would I would chase it with them. Yeah. Because I was interested in excellence. I wasn't I didn't want to just shine them, but what happened is when you make records for a really long time, you get to think that you know best and the are you like the artists they make they make a record once every couple of years. I know how this fucking train goes. You need, you need to listen to me. Shut the fuck up. And that is the worst attitude you can possibly have as a recording engineer producer, you have to be into the process. I wasn't really into the process. I was into like having it done and listening back and saying, that sounds awesome. <laughs> the getting there was just a pain to me. And that's why mastering ended up being so great for me. Cause you work on it for, you know, a few hours or half a day and you're done and you know, it's, you move on to the next thing. So, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's one of the reasons I transitioned into mastering as well. I always, I always wanted to be a bartender, and I feel like 
being a master engineer is like a bartender. Like they show up, give them a beer, they go. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's it it suits me particularly well in my brain and 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 stuff. Also because I've been kind of a on and off lifetime like playback like you know audiophile i mean i never had enough money to buy any cool stuff at home but i always had something kind of cool and i kind of missed you know when i was working a whole lot you know you never want to go home and listen to stuff but i kind of missed that experience and i'm back in it now you know i've got like a kill in stereo at home and i listen to records at home all the time what happened is I mean, I don't know if you want to get into this, but I have like a second gig where I review high-end, high-fi stuff for an online blog. I've been doing that about three or four years. And, That's really uh, cool. It's opened a lot of very cool doors because I used to think, oh, those audio files are nut jobs. They, you know, a bunch of old men with too much money and they don't know shit. And that's true in some cases, but I've met some really great people in that community. And one thing for sure, the, the majority of them are serious music lovers. I mean, they may love music more than I do at this point. You know, they're like, they live for playing music. So um, I, I've, I've met a great community there. I'm writing for this guy, Michael Fremmer, on his website, Tracking Angle. And he's, uh, he's, uh, he's really been great, very supportive. And, uh, and it's great because, I mean, you know, they just mail you stuff and some big crate shows up and it's, speakers that are like 150 grand a pair and you have them for a couple of months and take pictures and write them up and then they take them away you know it's like <laughs> that's amazing that, that's a good gig yeah. yeah it's fun it's it's yeah i i it's been a lot of fun and it kind of happened when i wasn't burned out on mastering but it kind of plateaued and i was kind of like there wasn't a lot of discovery anymore. And I was, you know, cause I'm a lifelong learner. I just love to learn new stuff. And I kind of felt like it was more of a job than a journey. And the funny thing is that since I got into that thing, well, actually let me back up. It wasn't just the reviewing thing. It was also the vinyl deal. That's a separate story, but um, it's kind of fed into one another and energized me more for working day to day. So that's cool. Yeah, it sounds like you're really good at pivoting. Well, I've always worked for myself. I mean, I've only, I, I, you know, in the early days, I was kind of like a staff guy at some studios, but that that didn't last long. I mean, I was kind of on my own by. Weren't you at Sterling and MasterDisc? Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. So, but were you were you an employee there, or were you like a yeah, freelancer? All, no, all the guys there are employees. Yeah. Something that we've talked with other mastering engineers on the podcast is is the difference between working in like a mastering house where there's multiple mastering engineers and you have like a crew and you're yeah. able to you know talk with people and commiserate together you know versus having you know a, a studio that's just you can you right. talk about the differences and the pros and cons sure yeah well master disc was much more kind of a like everybody hanging out and sharing ideas and stuff Sterling is like a high-end law firm where everybody's doors are closed and like it's all about the billing and nobody's going to tell you anything about how they do shit. But like when I worked at MasterDisc, the guy who was Scott Hall's assistant was Randy Merrill. And I met Randy when he was the night tech at Avatar and I was still recording. And uh, 
yeah, not too many people know this, but Randy's like heavy electronics knowledge guy. Oh, wow. I mean, he, he could like build stuff. So he graduated from being Scott's assistant to doing his own gigs. And he liked my room a lot. And I loved Randy. We're still friends to this day. And he shared the room that I had at MasterDisc. Um, and we were constantly like, hey, check out this thing I figured out, you know. Um, and then I, I just, a thing opened up at Sterling and I went there and, um, it was cool. I learned, I actually learned some, learned some stuff there, but it was mainly kind of by osmosis and just kind of reading the tea leaves. It wasn't like, you know, nobody there's going to go, Hey, you, what's this new thing? You got this new thing, you know, that you have to like ask their assistant. I was like, how does Ted get that shit so loud? It's like, well, uh, you know, there's no, there's no secrets. There's no manuals. Yeah. I think to the, to the credit of the guys there, I think, I think Greg and Ted and and to a certain extent, Tom, they, they really wanted to see me succeed. And and I, I have nothing negative to say about Sterling and, and they were, um, they were very supportive and, you know, Ted came in one day and said, uh, I was, my room was next to Chris Athens and Ted came in one day and like, brought a CD of some shit he'd worked on and played some stuff. And he's like, you should tell Joe, the IT guy to get you this plugin and this plugin and this plugin. I was like, okay. And he didn't tell me what to do with them. He just said, get this stuff. And, uh, I don't know, like a week or two later, I got the stuff. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And, and <laughs> I, I went into his assistance cubicle and I said, Hey, how does how, what, how, what does Ted, how does Ted use that, that thing? He's like, he told you about that? <laughs> like, dude, I worked here three years and he wouldn't tell. He's like, well, he didn't really tell me about it. He just said I should get it. And he's like, oh, just, he just, whatever. He just turns it up, you know, like, okay. And, and so, I mean, they, they were helpful and supportive, but it was kind of a little dance, you know, you had to kind of be cool. Um, <laughs> and, you know, George Marino was, was really cool. I learned a lot of stuff about George. He'd come into my room and I'd ask him questions and, there was a couple of times we worked on some stuff together and, you know, he would maybe like win the shootout and I'd say, what did you do on that stuff? You know, we said those three tunes. He was, Oh, it's on the network. Just grab it off my thing. and Listen to it. You know, this is like before it comes out. And, you know, I listened to it. I was like, Oh, that is like so incredibly different than mine. I, I see what he's doing. You know, I would, I never would have thought of that, you know? And so it wasn't like any one setting or a box or a plug-in like it's none of that it was more like conceptual stuff and i kind of realized that um for the first five or six years i was i was kind of using my mixing training and i mean i knew not to go too far and cram everything on it but i was very comfortable with using all the stuff you know from years of mixing and i kind of realized at some point mainly from from george i think maybe from Tom, that unless it's really extenuating circumstances, you just do everything with EQ. Like that's, and it's not real apparent because you're like, well, I know how to EQ, you know, like, but there are secrets to be unlocked with EQing a certain way. And that's probably the most important thing I learned at Sterling was, you know, like you don't really need compressors if, I mean, sometimes, but it's not a matter of course. 
I was thinking about like being a musician and the transitioning into engineering. Um, and I think Dave plays drums, if I'm not mistaken. I play guitar, I play guitar drums, bass. Yeah. Right. I have a bit of a musician background and, you know, that's sort of, how, you know, started my kind of pathway into engineering. But I find myself even to this day, even though I've been doing like, you know, mastering or mixing or recording, whatever now for, I don't know, 22 years, um, I still kind of struggle with with this thing where, you know, I haven't really mentally transitioned into a technical role. I still kind of see myself as a music person first. So I even approach mastering that way. Like I'm listening for kind of that emotional connection, that musical connection. Right. Do you have that in your mind where you you have transitioned fully into I am a technician, you know, um, or do you still kind of approach it as well, what an, I do if I were in this band? That's an interesting question. You know, I this is going to sound shocking. It's going to put some people off, but I just have to be totally honest. I have almost no emotional connection to the music. <laughs> I, I I don't care. I it doesn't. I I get goosebumps or get emotional about once every two years when something crosses my desk. Like I just don't. It doesn't. I I just have like an organic frequency analyzing computer, and I just hear it and I just go, "All right, vocal needs to come out just a little bit." Like I don't. I don't get emotional about it and i i would get emotional in mixing especially toward the end of the process when you got all the bs out of the way and like you're really like okay this is this is cool this is cool you know and then then it really starts to come together and you're like this is pounding man i'm super into this i i get like that a little bit in mastering but honestly i'm so desensitized you know that i i think that the guys that say that they're trying to like increase the emotional connection and that they, they, they need to feel it and stuff like I'm, I'm, that's great. That's fine. That's, I, I don't think they're being disingenuous, but um, I don't think you have to be like that to be a good mastering engineer at all. I don't think that's part of the gig really. You know, in fact, when I first started doing it and maybe I had more of a connection, like, Oh, this is really good stuff. And I, I need to really make this good, you know, or, or something. I mean, I still think that. I still think, oh, this is great stuff. Let's let's make it see what we can get. Um, and I, you know, something comes in that's really good, I get excited for 10 seconds and then I just get down to business. <laughs> because if you're too for me, if I'm too precious about it, because it's like emotionally, you know, I'll I'll screw it up. I don't. I'll work too hard on it or something. That's fair. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm not saying everybody should be like that. I mean, that's just my own weird, strange mind, you know? So how do you know I'm when gonna... you're done with a song or a record? Um, well, I don't know. It's just experience. Um, I think that came from years back at master disc. When I first started getting really busy, you just, you just don't have time. You know, you know, it's like every time you got to spend 15 minutes on a tune. Like I, I got to get the train home. I got to pick up the kids. I got, you know, you just, you don't have the luxury of time. And so it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. So you, 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 you get comfortable with not exploring every option. Like you get into option exploring. That's a recipe for disaster. 
So, but then how do you quell the feeling of, oh, there's one corner left unexplored. It I could, because nobody gives a shit if it's like 2% better. Like you're going to, if you miss the forest for the trees, it's, it's just, it just only has to be so good, you know, and there's 10 ways it can be good. There's no one perfect way. So you just get in the window of acceptability and go to the next tune. You know, I, that's, I mean, that sounds kind of simplistic, I guess, but I don't, yeah, I don't think about it. I just kind of know. It's just, I just turn some knobs and analyzing it. And, you know, at the very a- end of a tune, meaning I've spent 15 minutes on it, you know, I might go, well, I wonder what it have to be a widening as a guy. No. Okay. Like the, all the decisions are very quickly made, very quick decisions. I don't mull over anything. Yeah. You so know. going with your gut and knowing, you know, when to not dig into something. I might dig into it, but I dig into it really quickly. I'm like, well, this tune's cool and the mix is okay, but it's, it's not all that. So, you know, it still only takes 15 or 20 minutes. You're just doing more, you know? In fact, the ones that take the longest are the ones that are really great already. And you kind of keep wanting to try some things to do something to it. And you just go, no, fine. Doesn't do anything, you know? So, and I, you know, like I've, Remember too, I've like watched all the dudes work because I was a mixer for 24 years. And so I used to go to all the sessions. So I've sat in with all of them and watched them work. And nobody, nobody, none of the greats spends more than 15 minutes on a tune. I mean, maybe 20 or 25 if there's one thing that's really weird they're searching to fix. The other thing that, that I did, I can remember back around, I don't know, 2000. For 2005, I remember kind of like feeling like I'd crossed a threshold when I made myself do every tune without referencing any of the other ones. And at the end, I listened to it. I was like, well, this is plenty cohesive. Everything sounds fine to me. You know, like, so that's still kind of the way I work. I don't really go back and reference much. I just dig in and plow through it. And at the end, maybe I might alter a level, hefty B here, there or something. Like, oh, that that quiet tune's too loud, bring it down half TV or something, you know. But that's about it. So speaking of two thousand and five, when the theoretical loudness wars was at its peak, I feel like we have been going in this back and forth with the loudness wars over. We're still in it. We're sort of like teeter tottering. Uh, do you have a preference in the loudness wars? How do you feel about getting mixes that come to you at negative six luffs? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super into that. I mean, there was a time in the, even up to the point I first started working at Sterling where I kind of rebelled against, you know, having to make it super loud or getting really loud mixes. And, you know, I lost some gigs for, for, for that reason and it was not it was not a stance i was particularly proud of looking back on it i I really kind of regret that but um now i don't care i don't once again goes with the non-attachment send it to me as loud as you want now i i like getting them getting the unlimited version too and i pretty much always use the unlimited but i don't 
I don't mind. I never send it back to them quieter. In fact, I always send it back to them louder than whatever their loud one was. I don't care how loud the loud one was. It's going to be louder. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the loud thing, I mean, uh, when I was, before I started working at Sterling and I was kind of chasing like, oh, Ted's like my favorite guy. And uh, how does he get that shit so loud? I mean, you know, I was really trying to figure it out on my own and you know there's a couple times where i do a record and or you know maybe he did it and then they called me to do the bonus tracks or something you know and i'd be like fuck how that i can get it almost to the level right but not quite you know and i mean i spent a lot of time i spent a lot of time figuring out how to get stuff loud with the least damage and now I just default to loud as fuck. I, you send me something, you're going to get it at eight and a half. Usually, unless it's really difficult and won't go above nine, you know, and my default used to be like high nines, you know, I was like, no, like I, I'll go to seven now. I go, ah, it's too loud. Let me back it off to eight and a half or something, you know, because not, and it's not because the clients are requesting it. I just know from experience, if it can be that loud and feel like very little has been sacrificed and you've played a shell game with distortion or whatever or dynamics or something, they're gonna they're just gonna like it more. And if you don't accept that, you're you're probably not gonna have a a, a career, is my feeling. I hate to be so hardcore, but like No, I and, think and, I think you make a valid point and and I think a lot of the success in in engineering is realizing that it's not your record it's the artist record and they're making yeah. those decisions at the end of the day yeah 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 well i have a very easy time doing that because i'm not attached <laughs> right right so are you are you doing records that loud with like dylan oh no, no. okay okay so it no. is genre dependent or program dependent. oh yeah yeah totally. okay totally. yeah yeah just making but sure yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it'll, it'll, no, it's, yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't actually really look at the numbers. I mean, I just, I only recently, after a zillion years, got a plug-in that tells me how loud it is. I, I, I only look at the VU meters, so I don't, a lot of times I don't know numerically, but, um, yeah, I mean, folk, you know, something really open Americana thing, it's still going to be nine. Wow. 9.2 like you know um just because that's it's that's just what the competition does and i'm not trying to outdo the competition but you know i want to work so it was also a thing of like well how can i do this the most elegant way and people will be like sometimes people will be like you know it doesn't have to be that loud it sounds like it. i was like okay, I'll drop it 2 dB and you tell me if it sounds better. Like, it sounds the same. So we'll take it loud. It, like, you gotta figure out how to get it loud without fucking it up. It's as simple as that. Okay, follow-up question, Dave. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um... How do you well, get it no, loud me, without me, fucking let, it up? Let me be yeah. more specific, because this is a prepared question I have for you anyway. I know... 
from listening to some other interviews with you that, you know, you're a completely recovered converter clipper. Like you don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're out of that game for a long time now. And um, I've always found, and, you know, I'm pretty much out of that game myself, but every now and then I see a red light kind of come on here and there. Um, yeah. And I know there's not one way there's, there's several ways and several plugins and several, whatever. Um, yeah. But what, can you share with people to kind of point them in the right direction that, that you're comfortable talking well, about? You know, a lot of it, I mean, I don't get everything. to 7.4. That doesn't, that, you know, it doesn't have, you know, I can go to eight and a half or something usually without too much problem. Sometimes if it's hip hop, it's really hard to get it above nine or nine and a half, you know, just, um, but you know the 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 mix itself really determines kind of how loud it's going to go, and um, not so much whether it's been pre-treated. You know, like I said, I rarely use the limited version, but and so you think, okay, well, so why does a great mix have a tendency to go louder with less damage? Because it's the 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 energy and the frequency areas are very balanced. So the what I figured out early on, you know, I used to just like, okay, let's make this thing sound good. Okay. Let's see how loud we can get it. You know, I have a, as of many, many, many years, I no longer do it like that. I started out with it loud as fuck from the get go and analyzed what's making it fall apart. And then I treat it into the loudness to withstand that. And so sometimes even if, the mix is really great and I don't really want to alter anything about the mix. Like I don't need to brighten it up. I don't, you know, vocals don't need to pop out. I still may actually need to do a lot of things to get it to sound like I haven't done anything and have it be that loud. So, yeah, I, I mean, I probably work all digital 50% of the time. It's weird. Some weeks it'll be 70% of the time. Some weeks I'm like all analog. It just, it's, it's kind of how, how I'm, however I'm feeling that day, it, it almost doesn't even have anything to do with what sounds better. It's just like, okay, I'm gonna sit here and turn some knobs and have fun. I was like, oh, I don't have much time today. It's gonna be digital, you know. And I can say that because they'll both sound so close, you couldn't tell the difference. Like it's just not even a thing because the plugins have just gotten so incredibly great in the past couple of years. So. Um, but most days it's kind of hybrid. In fact, like today's hybrid. I mean, I can kind of show you. I'm right in the middle of this thing. But um, so first thing I do is I just I just leave it digital, and I have my my limiter or my clipper or whatever I'm currently kind of into. It's already set on stun. I got like 10 dB of gain, and so I open the thing and. More often than not, I'll turn it. It needs to come down a little bit. And I'll just check it out. And I go, okay, well, this this could definitely be digital. This sounds fine. It's like, is there anything that would make me feel better at the end of the day by going through some analog stuff? Is it does that weigh the having to write all the shit down and spend more time? And I'll go through some and then I'll just I can immediately go to the to an analog path and go. Okay, this is doing something I like. It's so subtle, nobody but me will hear it, but it's doing something kind of cool, you know. So, um, but I, 
rarely will go all analog. It'll be like, maybe I use an EQ or maybe I just want to go analog just to use, go through the compressor and barely tickle the meter. Or maybe it really needs compression a lot. And that'll be the determining factor because my analog compressor will pound without it sounding, you know, weird. So, but then in real time, when I'm going back in, I have a buttload of plugins on the master bus that I'm just instantiating while I'm listening through and tweaking like, okay, what am I going to do with this? And then I record it and just copy those plugins over to the region and then put them all in bypass again. And uh, lather, rinse, repeat. So I might have, like today, I'm working on this, this big band stuff and it's very dynamic. Um, but naturally, I'm going to give it to them loud. Not crazy loud, but like the peaks, you know, the loud parts when the band kicks in loud, they're going to pound the meters. And my meter offset is minus seven. So, but the verses will hover it minus five you know but i just determined like okay can i get away with a little bit of compression and you know i'll try my tube thing and i'll be like ah it's too much too much color and so for today not on every tune some some does don't get any compression at all but because of the extreme dynamic range i'm using the massenberg uh plug-in and but all that's virtual because it's sitting on that region. My, I just caught, I just drag and drop it from the master bus to the captured region. And later on, you know, I could go back and fine tune. I don't usually, but um, me and one of the guys that Sterling figured out a long time ago, he was actually Tats, Tatsuya uh, Sato. He was, he was the guy who came in my room. He was like, Todd came in one day and said, hey, Dave, I figured out this thing out. And he was Garinger's assistant. He's like, the converter compresses long before it gets to the red. I was like, really? And we did. He set up the thing and everything. And you touch yellow and it starts to compress a little bit. And I don't want any converter compression. So if I start seeing it like hit too much yellow, I mean, it never hits red. I'll jack up the overall limiter, another dB, and bring down this you know thing um because it just it's cleaner it's just cleaner that way yeah i mean i i i think i don't know if you agree with this but would you say that you know the analog path before you're capturing through your converter like the sound of that path is also helping you not sort of you know push into the limiter in a harsh way so in other words you have like a nice warm round oh, sounding yeah. analog well, path so you can buy yourself a little more level without getting harsh yeah it i mean mine doesn't it's so neutral it doesn't do that but um i mean it almost sounds it's a mirror image of, of the digital i mean it's a tiny tiny bit softer but not i've worked really hard to to not have it have any sound that's part of the reason why i got this nif console um but that, but but what you're saying though is 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 very true. But like if I might I might use the you know the EQs and stuff to tailor the low end so that it's 
you know, if it's big and it sounds great, I'm not going to touch it. But if it's like, eh, it doesn't have to be quite that big. And if I can focus it a little more, it'll go louder. And it doesn't have anything to do with the converter. It has to do with how hard it's going to hit the final limiter. So if the vocal is harsh, I'm not, I'm going to do that with something digital. I'm not going to do that with the analog. I, you know, um, I might DS it or something, but um, I'm not looking for the analog to sweeten and take the edge off anything. Actually, I, I do that on the digital domain. That's all done digitally because to get the most out of the analog, I've just curated it to be super clean. I mean, it's not sterile or, you know, it's not like I've got a, you know, Massenburg EQ. I mean, everything's got a little bit of a vibe, but like even the Terry, the Terry's not going to sweeten up a harsh vocal. It just is not going to do that. But if I need to boost something, it might boost it in a manner that's a little more musical, even though I still will de-harsh it with something digitally, you know? So, so I, I mean, I actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, like I, I do, I just, there's a lot of times I do a lot of processing, but hopefully that's in the service of, so it doesn't sound processed, you know? Right. Lots of good gold nuggets there, Matt. <laughs> my my favorite thus far is nobody cares if it's two percent better. Well, I'm gonna put know, that on bumper sticker. Well, <laughs> they 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 would care if they could hear it. Totally. Nobody's got play, nobody's got playback systems that allow them to hear any of that stuff. So, right. you know, for me, like the gold is like to get something. I mean, I hate stuff that's harsh and brittle, and so I'll do anything to kind of defang it up to a certain point. And I'm not one of those like, well, they, you know, it's really forward. They mix it like that. I'm like, well, I don't care how they mix it. I got to listen to it, and I don't like it like this, so I'm going to soothe the fuck out of it, you know? <laughs> so in there, um, yeah. So so I hear a lot of stuff from you know people that are very good and very successful mastering guys that I'm I, there's no blame or anything like that, which, which I think is super, super kind of harsh. And it's not that it's too loud. I mean, it's just a cumulative, you know, the mix was probably like that. And they're like, you know, the client is like, yeah, don't, 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 we like that. Don't touch it. You know? So I've kind of shifted away from that kind of stuff. Like I don't do that kind of stuff anymore just because I don't want to hear it. And so, um, there's there's a place for that it's fine i mean it'll probably sounds cool on your phone and stuff and i i'm like anybody else i listen to something i want to just check out on my phone or but i really want to make it sound good on a limited resolution system but i'm also i, I want to take it home and hear it on my mega system and not make any apologies for you know like it has to sound great and a lot of it's in the mix, but still, you can take just about anything and craft it to sound good on a big full range system. You know, like I rarely high pass the bass because I like tons of bass. I'm in a post kind of typical consumer mindset where 
I just, I'm just, I just want to please myself. It's like, if I have an occasion to hear it at home, which I don't listen to everything, very little of the stuff I listen to at home, but if it's something that's cool, um, I want to be able to play it at home and have it sound amazing, you know? So I'm kind of doing it for myself really. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, from time to time I'll get on a binge of hearing other cool mastering guys talk about stuff. And I, I, I totally respect the thing of like, you know, you got to respect the mix and it's other people's art. I'm, I completely embody that, but I just make it sound the way I want it to sound. And I haven't had any shortage of people coming to me and paying me good money to do that. So I don't have any reason to be too precious about the mix. You know, I mean, George Marino taught me that he, he like took this project that we worked on. The guy was like a great mixer, like really great. And most mastering guys be like, Oh, well, this is blah, 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 blah. I, I got it. You know, and George just EQ'd the fuck out of it. <laughs> like really severely, you know, and I'm like, well, that does sound better. So, um, you know, you can talk a game of respecting the mix and not doing too much. And it's a game of little of inches and stuff. And it is that many, many times. But I think when you have, you know, the 10,000 hours, you get to the point of like knowing, okay, I need to, I, I I'm not going to not do anything to this because I'm scared to do anything. I'm not going to do anything to it because it's just perfect. And there's no, no way to improve it. But it, if I can do something that makes me happier, well, then I'm going to do it. If that makes any kind of sense. I mean, I'm trying not to be too big headed about that, but no, but if it makes sense, cause if, if it makes you happy, it's probably going to make other people happy as well. Ho hopefully. I mean, ho yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, there's, I think there's a curve to it. It's like in the beginning you do too much and then you go to a phase of, of being conservative because, you know, you, you, you can never lose by doing too little. It, it, especially if you figure out how to get it loud. But the final stage is like, they're not even going to know what I've done, but I'm actually doing quite a bit. And I'm not changing the overall vibe of the mix. And I'm not, you know, adding distortion or like, you know, there's no saturation or anything, you know, you know, but I'm doing quite a bit. I'm, I'm doing quite a bit. And, I'm not doing it because I think it's going to impress him or I just do it. Cause I just, I was a mixer for a long time and I just hear what they're going for. And I hear that they had shitty monitors in a little room and I'm just recreating what they would have done if they had ATCs in a real room, you know? So, uh, and I'm careful to tell people or the person I work with is my kind of manager person. Don't, listen to it where you mixed it because you made it sound as good as you could there and this is going to sound bizarre so and you know and most people that will get back to me say, saying something like you know we've listened we've listened in three or four different systems and hearing this and that and overall it's great we just have a couple of changes we want to make I'm like bring it on you know but if I think it, it really was good and I really did what it needed and they're like, where'd all the bass go? I'm like, you had too much bass, dude. I'm sorry. And if they're like, well, we want all the bass back, you know, I'll be like, okay, some, you know, if I'm in a mood, some days I'll go, okay, I'll put it all back. And some days I'll be like, you know what? Here's your money back. Let's go to somebody else. 
I just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm an old man and I'm, I get grouchy. I'm like, do your due diligence. You're paying me a lot. So I can make some small changes. I can put a little bit back or whatever, but, and I don't have an argument or conversation with him. I'm just like, really? Okay. Well, all right, let's see. But even if you do that, it's probably not going to be the end of it anyways. Sometimes it's not. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, I'm so old. I've been doing it so long and I, I, I can, even from like the mixed days, I can kind of smell the difficult people and Danny, my booking person who I talk to every day, who's just, a, just a gem of a person and very good at her job. Um, she'd be like, I got an email from this guy and I'll like, I'll be like, no. <laughs> I, I don't even need to hear it i don't want to know tell him to go someplace else <laughs> i just i know or i'll say well you know what it's a little slow this week let's just do it i'll i need the money and i say but this guy's gonna be trouble and then it is and she's like you can call it every time <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say it kind of depends on how the calendar's looking right whether or not yeah. you're willing to tolerate those people. Totally, 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 yeah. And, you know, because, I mean, I need to make money and pay bills like anybody else. I can't just blow people off indiscriminately. But what's happened, and I'll say to somebody that's probably not as far as, like, where you guys are. Maybe they've been doing it for five or six years or seven years or eight years or something like that, and they've kind of got a little, you know, they got a nice business going. Um, if you find yourself getting into a niche that most of the time you're, you're not so into, well, then it's on you to shift it. And I have very slowly over the years without a wholesale of chopping people off or being a dick or anything like that. I've very slowly pivoted to pretty much doing only stuff. That's amazing. Cause I've just told the other people to find somebody else, you know? And, and also because, Every now and then I'll hear somebody's work and go, man, that guy's good. And he works with these amazing artists and I'll reach out to him and say, look, I know you got your people, but if something ever comes up, man, I love your stuff. I'd love to work on something. I don't, I don't do this much anymore. I used to do it a lot. I used to actively go after the people doing the projects that I really liked the stuff that they did. I did that a lot, did it all the time. And I would just be merciless about it. Like I didn't want to take somebody's gig away that, certainly not a friend or somebody I respected or somebody I knew or something like that. But like, I'd be like, I don't even want to know who you're going to, but send me a couple of tunes from the last record. And they, you know, I just do them on the house and be like, fuck, this is so much. I, there's been so many times I've redone entire albums after they paid somebody else to do it a zillion times. Um, so, you know, you kind of, if you're going to grind, do it intelligently, find the people that you want to work with and figure out, you know, in the old days, you couldn't do that. It was all tapes and shit. And you're like, now it's just files flying everywhere. So, you know, it's no big deal. Um, I'm redoing an album right now for an Australian. Well, I did it last week for an Australian woman. Great R&B singer. I mean, killer voice. And the tunes are just killer. And it was mixed by a guy that I, that I do a lot of stuff for but you know i never hold anybody to anything it's like yeah if you think i'm good send it to me but i don't i'm not going to claim all of your i'm not going to be butt hurt because you send some stuff to other people that's that's just how it is you know and 
he she did a whole album and somebody mixed it he this guy who's my friend was the producer and uh then they and they said I, I didn't know anything about that and they sent me three songs like bonus tracks or i don't know whatever her new three songs which I, I don't know what the deal was because i don't care and i don't even know it's just i come in there's a link i download it i don't know the backstory unless it's really great and i'll ask daniel like, who are these people um and i did the three songs and then three days later she's like well so-and-so called back they were so knocked out by those three songs they want you to redo the whole 12 song record that they paid somebody else <laughs> and it was somebody who was experienced and good you know so um yeah it that instead of just having that randomly happen i would suggest to the mastering girls and boys that are looking to kind of you know both get more work and do more of the stuff they enjoy doing um, and I enjoy everything. Like, I, you know, be like, I'm metal one day. I'm like, this is killer. This metal. And the next day it's like this big band Sinatra guy, you know, and in the same day, it might be some, you know, just crunk as shit, hip hop thing. That's just nasty. It, I don't care as long as it's good. And there's a lot out there that's not good. And there's a lot of stuff that's good. And it's not genre dependent. I just 100%. wanted to do I just want to do the good stuff, you know? So, um, I'm very, you know, I feel extremely fortunate, extremely grateful, but that didn't happen by accident. That happened because I designed it to happen like that. And there's an important lesson in there, I think, which is kind of your Zen factor is, is very inspiring. Like you don't pay attention to what's going on with everybody else. And you're kind of like, whatevs. <laughs> yeah, and that's an important lesson because you can really get, you can you can beat yourself up if you pay too oh, much yeah. attention to that and see what you're not doing that everyone else is doing. Uh, you know, terrible. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm I'm just as guilty of that. Like I, it used to just kill me. You know, I'd be like, I mean, I would get really, really butthurt. Like I've like I've been working with this motherfucker for five years <laughs> and now he's sending all this shit to so and so. You know, and well, the first thing I'd say was like, well, I guess my game is not that good. What's this guy doing? I was like, well, he's not doing anything different. He's just the flavor of the month guy. So fuck him. Right. Or, or like, okay, he's doing something cool. I better get on gear sluts and see what the new plugins are, <laughs> you know? And that's a valuable resource. Cause there's plenty of dudes that spend all their time searching for this stuff. And I don't, I don't want to, but I go, there's five people that says, oh, this new Nissan 240X is the bomb. I'm like, all right, let me demo it. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not proud. I'm like, yeah, let's check it out. You know, and I also have some friends, some other, I have a little group of mastering guys and I, your guys are welcome to, to, I would love for you to be in the group of, of trusted friends. Like we just share shit. Like I'll find something and text Randy. It was raining, and I was like, "Dude, have you tried the so and so?" And be like, "Not yet." And then a week later, he'll hit me back and go, "Dude, that thing is amazing." You know, or <laughs> I was like, "How did Taylor like that new plugin I turned you on to?" <laughs> uh, because you know, I mean, I just I I love my my fellow people because it's it's a hard, you know, it's hard doing anything in music. It's just so it can be so soul sucking that, um. Yeah, I, I'm just as sensitive as anybody else. So I, 
a couple of years ago, I just went through Instagram and just got rid of all the other mastering people. It's like, I don't want to see what anybody's doing. I don't, don't want to know. And I got rid of like all the, most of the engineers and stuff. It's like, I don't care. I don't, <laughs> I, you know, so yeah, I, this year it, if, for a minute, what was it? Sunday night for a minute. I was a little, I was like, oh, fuck, oh for five. Instead of being, oh, I'm grateful. I had five nominations this year. I'm like, fuck, oh for five. What's, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> and then I blew it off and we watched, went back to binge watching succession. So, <laughs> so, so I do have a follow-up question then. That, that, that was part of one of my, the questions I prepared for. Does being nominated or winning a Grammy for your work increase the pressure or is it validating? Does it create more anxiety for you? H how does that affect you? Um, I don't think it ever affected me. I, you know, I don't have any hardware and that's one reason I was kind of miffed this year is I finally got a category that would be a statue. Um, but honestly, I didn't expect it to win because it was a pretty esoteric project. Very few people heard it. It was this beautiful record from this African-Canadian woman who's just amazing. And it was world music. And it sounded it sounded really great, um, mainly because the mixer, Nick Hart, is amazing. But um, I was kind of like having like, like to have a statue. But my... 20 something certificates are all unframed in the storage room. I don't give a shit. I don't know. What am I going to put them up for? It's just me. I don't need to see it. You know? Yeah. There's a storage room in the back of the house that has unwrapped gold records and a folder with all the, I gave a Grammy certificate away to the guy that built my speakers. Cause it meant more to him than it did to me. You know, it's a popularity contest. It doesn't mean shit. There's nobody in two weeks, everybody will forget who won. Yeah. It's a know? piece of paper. So, it's a piece of paper. So the first couple that I won was for like mixing and recording and stuff. And that was, that was, a that was kind of a big deal. But, um, then the mat and the first, like maybe the first mastering to couple were, were kind of cool, but, um, it's, yeah, it's once you get into that mindset, it's just, you can never be satiated. So like you have to just not be, cavalier about it because it does mean something but you have to just not let it consume you if you win or lose it just doesn't you know it's not gonna it's it might be you know okay promo and sometimes i'll put a picture on instagram of some certificate that comes and then it goes into the storage unit <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> can't keep everything yeah so you know it's it it's cool and i'm thankful but i couldn't tell you what all of them are for and it's either like 19 or 20 or something. Like, I don't even remember what they were all. <laughs> There's a couple I remember. The other ones I can't remember. But, um, yeah, I it's, yeah. It, not, certainly, no, it didn't increase any pressure or anything. Like, I don't, no, I don't think about it like that at all. Yeah, so, that's good. It wasn't like, oh, I guess I'm doing this right. You know, like, I never really think that i'm always think ah oh, there's something else i could learn or do better or why there's i'm never i'm always looking forward i'm not really stuck in the past much and even even if the past is like a week ago it's always like well, what's tomorrow what's going on you know um so 
I don't know if that answered the question. One hundred percent did. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. How did you guys get into this? I'm tired of talking about me. What's so very similar to you in that you know I started out in bands. I was the guy who set up the microphones. Eventually, ran a studio. Kind of got burned out on that and needed more mental health or better mental health and sort of transitioned over about five or six years into full-time mastering. Um, yeah, recording bands was definitely not something I could do. And and also having kids sort yeah, of forced yeah. me into not being in the studio for 18 hours a day. Yeah. It's like you got to yeah. set your priorities straight. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm totally, totally into it. Um, um, do any of you guys uh, still do any mixing or recording or anything like that? This is the closest I get to recording in, in years with this microphone, uh, <laughs> like what we're doing yeah. now. <laughs> I mixed a song last week, but I probably only mix maybe three songs a year because yeah. there's just no time for it. Do you, do you enjoy it when you get an opportunity to do it? I I get excited about it, but then I feel like I'm I'm not up on the latest stuff. Like I don't really know how to approach, you know, I mix something like I mixed it 15 years ago when I mixed right. records. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, but is this going to sound like, you know, dated? Is it, is this wrong? You know? So it's, there's some anxiety that sort of comes along with it, but. um, Well, let me ask you, is this, do you, what do you think about mastering your own mixes? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I almost feel like it's um, the processes are connected because when I'm mixing because I'm mixing in my mastering room, I'm kind of mixing it towards the finished master, you know, before I run it through the stuff. So it's like my calibration is the same for like the EQ response and, you know, the balance and the, and the whatever, you know, like the snare and, and kick kind of impact. Like it's al almost already there. It's just not as loud as it needs to be. So then the mastering just becomes a, like a gain, you know, gain it up and get it, you know, to where it needs to be but uh right i i still really love mixing and i don't do much of it but i have one client every now and then some, somebody else will come along but um i have one client and he's 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 lives in austin um he's a great guy his name is uh bob schneider and i've like mixed his records for like 20 years and and mastered most of them and uh kind of like clockwork about every 18 months he's like <laughs> okay you know and uh it's it's really it's really fun for me because there's such a level of trust i can just i it it it's like it's the most blessed like mixing gig because for one thing he's a cool songwriter and he's got a really cool voice and the production is, is always good. He goes to like real studios and stuff. And the guy who is the engineer and the producer for most of his projects, not this last one, but the previous like five or six is also one of my mastering clients. And um, we're big buddies and he sends me a ton of stuff to master. And then when it comes time for a Bob thing, he, he's so Zen about it. He's like, and, and this guy's mixes are amazing. He's like, we don't even like the first time it happened. He's like, you know what, Bob? Bob wants you to mix this, and I, I, I like your mixes, so I don't, I don't give a shit. I was, you know, just do your thing. He, he likes your vocal sounds, and I'm, I don't, 
I get too many other things going on. It doesn't, doesn't bug me to, I produced it. I recorded it. You mix it. You know? And uh, his tracks are so impeccable. And I just get, you know, for each tune, 30 or 40 consolidated tracks. There's, there's no plugins. I just open it on the thing. They don't tell me shit. And I just go to town and I do whatever I want. I don't listen to rough mix, nothing. And Bob will say something like, you know, it's like keyboards and shit in there. You feel free to turn those off, you know, whatever. And that's about the end of the direction. And pretty much for the past like 15, 18 years, I'll, and he sends a lot of tunes. Sometimes like 16 tunes or something. He's very prolific. I'll do my thing and it's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> that's amazing. It's a revision on a couple of tunes but i've done a bunch of them where it's like there's almost no revision he'll say something like you know what i want to take the bass off the intro let's wait you know there's like an arrangement change or he'll he'll be like can you just maybe a little bit i don't want to hear the reverb on that first verse on my voice and then whatever you want to do or or like it's so easy and i'll do and i'll do stuff like you know, I'm going to flange the entire mix and drop out the bass and make a breakdown. And I'll be like, <laughs> and he won't even mention it. He'll be like, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm going to lo-fi the entire first half of the song and then I'll open it up. And, and he never says anything. He's like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> Run it through the burnt cassette. I did. I use the cassette. I use the tape plugin. I make it sound like a funky demo. You know, yeah, it's so it's cool, a cool plugin. And he never says anything other than like, it sounds great. Sounds great. And, and half the time he'll be like, I'll be like, do you have a sequence? He's like, hell no, just sequence it. <laughs> <laughs> Got any title ideas? <laughs> I, I had this one guy who's a really good friend of mine, great player, Charlie Hunter. He's like, a plays a six string guitar, plays bass and guitar at the same time. He's like, yeah. just groover deluxe played on, you know, he's kind of famous for, has a solo career on Blue Note for a long time. He played on D'Angelo, you know, that that seminal record. I can't think of the name of right now. Uh, Voodoo. Yeah. And and he's a great guy. And he lives close. He moved to North Carolina, you know, not long after I moved down here. And he, he I've done a lot of recording with him because he's one of the guys that I'll record because there's no overdubs. It's a three or four piece band. And I recorded live to two track. The first time we ever did one of those, this is Charlie. He's like the classic jazz musician. Like he gets all his jollies up playing. And after that, he doesn't care. I mean, so we went, we were in some studio in Brooklyn. We were, we were, we were living in New York at the time and really nice studio. And, uh, uh, what happened is he, he, I mastered record for him because we were kind of neighbors in, in Montclair and we lived in New Jersey. And then it came time to do another one. He's like, you know, you, you want to mix this one? I was like, yeah, I, and I mixed it. And then the next time around, he's like, you know, I don't have a big budget to mix. I, you know, I wasn't charging much. He's like, I'm not on a label anymore. I'm doing my own thing. I don't have a lot of money to mix. He's like, what do you think you could do? I was like, well, why don't we just record live in the studio so there's no mixing? He's like, can we, can you do that? I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, you can do that. So, but we have to go in a nice studio though, because I don't want to go in a place that's got a lot of gremlins. He's like, okay, okay, so we'll find so we went in this really nice place, Brooklyn recording, big Neve, great room, great mics. And, you know, we rolled a two track, we rolled Pro Tools just to be safe. And uh, and after the first tune, I was like, you guys want to come in and hear it? He's like, yeah. And they came in and heard it. And you know, they were like, yeah, that's cool. So let's do some more. And they we did the whole record in like two days. And 
after the first tune, they didn't even want to come in and hear it. He's like, no, let's just do another one. Do you think we got it? I was like, "Mm, do one more just to be sure. Okay. And, and then at the end of the thing, they're packing up and we finished early on the second day. I was like, you want to hear the stuff? He's like, no, man, just, you know, I'm cool. And I said, well, I'll take a pro tool session home just to see if there's any takes we want to splice together or whatever. And, and, uh, he's like, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. And, and I went, and I got to him and said, you know what? It's all first takes, except this one song. I want to use the outro. He's like, yeah, do your thing. And then I mastered it. I was working at Sterling. I just did it myself after hours. I'm like, you know, whatever. And I said, like, what do you want to do for the sequence? He's like, I just, you pick it, you know? <laughs> And a couple of months later, he called me. He's like, dude, we're playing some bar in like Oregon. And I just heard the record. It sounds fucking great. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's trust. That's the ultimate in letting go. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, We need a lot more of that. I'll say. (laughs) So that's how my, like my, my family thinks my life is, you know, like it's that easy. (laughs) They don't understand. (laughs) What what is it really like, but you know, because I've just been blessed and kind of agitated to work with those kind of people, since I'm more familiar than not that that actually can happen, it's brought my tolerance way low, or you know, for the other people. Yeah, people are like I don't have time for your bullshit. I'm sorry that I I respect that's your thing, but I'm not the guy to, you know. If you're going to ask for four revisions that I, the fourth revision, I, you know, I'm telling, I'm giving you the money back until you go away. So totally. Yeah. I had, I had a fire, a client that was like that and it was, it was good money. The money was there, but it was just not worth it and felt really good to let that person go. Yeah. I, I mean, I never like to do it and I always, I never tell them your stuff's no good. I just no. You're crazy. There's someone like, else better for it, and and I'm, you fill it with something that you love doing. Yeah, yeah, and and it might be something that I love the music, and they're local people, and they hardly have any money. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Just you know, what do you got? Let's do it. You're great. Yeah, I think a big reason for the situation that we sometimes find ourselves in with difficult clients is has a lot to do with the rate situation as well. And me and Matt are, you know, our bread and butter is sort of like indie clients, self-funded bands, young bands, punk rock bands. Um, and, you know, they, they put food on my table, so I don't want to price them out. But at the same time, yeah. that attracts a certain element that can be difficult to deal with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a whole conversation. Like, I, I feel strongly that that mastering is a really a good uh, value per dollar. And that even if you spent like $2,000 making your whole record, which amounts to like you bought an interface at guitar center and a better money. <laughs> I still think that, you know, you're going to get a huge bang to spend 1500 bucks to have somebody really good to master it. So like I'll give people a deal, but um, it's still expensive. You know, and I and I know they're working at Starbucks. I know that they're not going to probably make the money back selling it. I, you know, they're going to make more money selling T-shirts or playing the gigs. You know, I know all that stuff, and I I feel deeply. I'm sensitive to all that, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think I provide a really great value, and so I'm gonna, you know, I've like raised my rates every couple of years, pretty much the last, I don't know. 
10 years. Yeah. I have a guy, favorite clients and his stuff is amazing. He's, he, he's not in any major metro area. He's actually built his own studio out in boonies and he gets great clients. His production is great. He's like plays a lot of the instruments. I mean, this guy is like amazing. And his mixes are just, they're like better than almost anybody else's big name guys I get. You know, like this guy's amazing. And he first started coming to me when I was working at Sterling. And I gave him a pretty great bro deal. And because, you know, he's having to pay for it out of the budget of the clients that come to him, you know, so no label stuff, you know, and it was only this last year out of after working with him for like 15 years. I, I finally, it wasn't me. It was like, it was Danielle. She's like, do you still want to, you know, you're going to keep the price, you know, we're going up. I, I, I think that's good. Good idea. But what about the old timers? I'm like, well, you know, I think we should get more from what's his name. And he was like, Oh, fine. No problem. You know? And it was like, you know, 80 bucks more a song or something. He's like, Oh no, oh, that's fine. Yeah. I don't care. It's it's amazing value, even at the new price. I, I don't care. It's fine. You know, so it's hard when you work for yourself. It's really hard to cr- cross that threshold of like, well, am I being a dick because I want to raise my prices or am I going to scare people away and all that? And I, yeah, it's, it's when you're too busy is when it's the time to raise prices. Or if you need a new roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's got bills. And stuff, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you're legitimately like looking around. You're like, oh, damn, I'm just like, I'm working all the time. Where's my work-life balance? You're like, well, time to raise the rates. Yeah. You can always keep the people that you love their work at the old price. You know, there's nothing that right. says you can't. So, um I'm I'm really fortunate to have a full-time person that does all that stuff and we've been together for a long time and I I couldn't do it any other way cuz my ADHD is so bad there's no way there's no way I could schedule and bill it just it it would be I tried it for a minute when I left Sterling I was like it's not going to work and I called her cuz she worked at Sterling for 10 years and had left there and done other things and I didn't think she wanted to get back into it, but it turns out, you know, she did. I, I was calling, asking her advice, like, who could, I, who should I get to do this? And she's like, well, I, I want to do it. And I couldn't really afford to pay what she was worth but at that point, but she did it anyway, much to my gratification. And uh, yeah, Danielle is amazing. And I mean, I've been able to hear more over the years, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's great. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving us all this wonderful nuggets of information and knowledge. Yeah. If you guys ever have any questions, I mean, you just hit me up and uh, I'll, I'll be able to, I'll be happy to answer anything offline. You know, that, I appreciate it. You know, cause I, I, I can, I can be as much a gearhead as anybody else. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sick about that stuff. You know, like yeah. we'll do a follow-up interview where we talk about everything behind you. Yeah, I mean, I spent a bunch of money on cables, which is like, ugh, I never wanted to be that guy. And I finally like, okay, I got to do that. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, we could do we could do a whole episode on my buying and selling history, but you know, <laughs> Dave Dave is has been one of the kind of leaders, you know, that a lot of mastering people look to for what's what's really? the good year to have and what's yeah, what's never... Dave doing? I mean, you know, Dave has owned maybe more EQs than I have in the last <laughs> five years. Just saying a lot. But uh Yeah. yeah. Well but I, you don't seem to go backwards. See, I sometimes go backwards. I sometimes like revert because I'm like, what do I do? And I revert. And then I'm like, no, now I know why I sold this thing and I sell it again. Yeah. And then I just lost $2,000. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I try not to, I try not to, I try not to get anything unless I, I really think it's going to do something that I, that I like, but yeah, I don't, in the, I don't think I'll get any more hardware in the foreseeable future. I think I'm sort of done, done with that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with us. It was awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Dave. Yeah, I'll I'll check out you guys' stuff. I need to I need to hear some of your, I'm sure, very fine work. And uh, Matt and Dan, thanks again. And thank thanks you. for having me on. And uh, I, um, yeah, very very honored to be asked. So, see you thank guys you, Dave. Honors all ours. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, man. <laughs>